Hi, I'm Melina Reddy and welcome to Foreign Influence. We have a very special guest with us today, Wendy Sharp. She's one of Australia's most awarded artists. Wendy, thank you so much for having us in your magnificent studio. Thanks, Alina. Thanks so much for coming. It's such an honor to have you on our show. Please tell me about your ancestry. I'm first generation Australian. Both my parents were born in England and they met and married there, came over and had me. On my mother's side, it's Northern England, Yorkshire. On my father's side, Jewish, my father's side, and his mother's family originally came from Ukraine and they left around 1900 and came to the East End of London. It's been really interesting recently to do research into that side of the family. Your father was a historian and a writer. How did that impact on your career choice? Both my parents had a big impact on me, but I would say particularly my father. I was very close to him and I'm very like him. I am a mixture of both, but we would have lots of discussions about time, about history, and about more abstract ideas. And he was very imaginative, very poetic. And um, although my mother could draw, my father wasn't a visual person, he was, it was more, you know, writing. I feel like I got a lot of my creativity from him. Even though you, it was your mum who could draw. My mother, um, when she was at school in, in England, she got a scholarship to go to art school. And her mother, my grandmother, who was a very passionate amateur artist, pulled her out, which is you know, like, how come you think she won't want to do art? She didn't let my mother. So I don't know what she would have done. And she was able to draw, so she probably could have learned how to draw very accurately, probably like botanical specimens, that kind of thing. Fine, precise, but not imaginative. Do you think That's, it has something to do with the times, maybe? No, I think, no? It's, I think yep. it's her. I okay. mean, it's not a negative thing. It's yep. a different type. Yep. She's a maths brain person. Yep. I'm not. It's a different character. Yep. I think it's to do, certainly being pulled out of art school is the times, mm. definitely, it's definitely. So I think he's the most influential person, my father, towards my whole life. Mm -hmm. You're one of Australia's most awarded artists. Let me count. It's Archibald Prize, Solman Prize, Porsche Gitch Memorial Prize, and the list goes on. Which one is the most special to you? Oh, thanks, Alina. Look, it's really, it's, it's hard to say. I would say, I mean, the most famous thing is the Archibald. And when I won it, I was a, you know, a young woman. And you were a finalist as well. I've been well. a finalist yes. many times, seven, yes. I think, times, a lot of times. When I won, I was a bit of a novelty because, you know, there's only been 10 women who've won it in 100 years. Incredible. And, and I got so much publicity because I was young and that was a novelty as well. You always get publicity, but I really had a lot. So that... And that, of course, is often the thing, the only thing that people know about, which is the Archibald. However, I'd say so that, but I would also say that when I was 27, I won, 26, I won the Sulman Prize. 27, I won a an overseas travelling scholarship called the Martin Bequest. And that enabled me to travel to Europe and also to see where my parents had lived in England. So which prize do you have your eye on set? To win next time. Oh, I don't know. Look, I don't know. Look, it's a funny thing, prizes. I mean, it, there's always a really, it's really a bit arbitrary as to who gets it because it depends, of course, on who's judging it. When I won the Sulman, for example, that was judged by Albert Tucker, who was a very famous uh, Australian I artist love his in the yeah, 1940s. Fab, fab, fabulous. So, such a compliment. 
But if it hadn't been him, it'd been a different person, I probably wouldn't have even been hung. So it's, it's the, there's always a degree of chance. I just won about a week ago a prize called the um, Gold Award. Which is that, and that was fantastic. That's a big lot of money, so that was great. But even though I've just said that to you, honestly, um, prizes, there is an arbitrary thing. I mean, I've been rejected from lots of things, and I've also had things rejected from one prize and won it with the other, and I've judged a lot. So I know that it, it's a, a bit of a lottery, and my advice to anyone is never take it too seriously. However, it's still <laughs> However, good. Yeah. It's still good. <laughs> You were the first woman since World War II to be appointed as an official war artist during Australian military role in East Timor. What was that like? In 1999 to 2000, I had a commission from the Australian War Memorial. I have to say that then I wasn't even that aware that the War Memorial has such a fabulous art collection. And I also wasn't aware that they had just recently reinstated this scheme of sending artists into, uh, you know, engagements with the military, because you'd sort of think, that's pretty weird, you know, why would you send an artist? But they actually want something really subjective. So when I was asked, and this is something you can't apply for, they, they just ask you, I thought, what is this? But then I thought, well, obviously I have to go because it's such an honour to be asked, you know, out of all the artists in Australia if I wanted to go along, so I did. And I first was in Darwin, and then I spent um, a few weeks in East Timor, where um, the Australian Army was involved with peacekeeping and interfet. Mm. And it was, you know, an, an extraordinary and very moving experience. In what way? Well, I think people often say to me, um, "Did it change you or change your work?" You know, and I would say, "No, not really." But what it did, and I think it's it's true with any extreme experience, any extreme occurrence, which would be recent floods, yeah. war, any bushfire, any kind like of... state of emergency. Yeah, state yeah. of emergency, anything that's extreme like that brings out the best and the worst of people. So you see acts of, you see or you hear of, acts of extreme bravery, kindness and selflessness, and then also horrible, you know, terrible things that you can't believe that anyone could possibly do, both. Wendy, tell me, what is the name of this painting? This painting is called Unfinished Business and um, it has me and I'm pouring a figure, a soft blurry figure that's probably not real or could be imagined or could be a ghost figure. So you could discuss what it could be, it could represent lots of things. And I have, so it's actually about my family and about this sort of family research that I was doing, where we have this, also this kind of orange figure, which is something that's there and not there. This is a little slither of a back street in the East End of London, before it was groovy. When they were there, of mm. course, it was a, a sort of a Jewish ghetto. It wasn't the hipster bar land that it is now. It was a slum, and I was trying to get the feel of that. And I have here um, my family that, that came over from Ukraine then. And I like how it's black and white, so yeah. it's indicative of that Absolutely. it's an old-fashioned photograph. Yes, yeah, that and it's, it actually, yeah. it's interesting because when I showed this photograph to other people, that some people showed me pictures of their own family, and of course, 
they look the same. You know, it's the same look. Yep. Everyone's sitting there, standing there. Actually, also like that, all the boys have to hold a book to show how learned they are. They're yeah. probably given it yeah. by the photographer. Mm -hmm. And the girls hold their mother and the boys hold, you know, it's interesting, yeah. all the conventions. That's my grandmother, Bessie. That's my, that's my grandmother. That's my great-grandmother. So she was psychic. She was psychic. And, and her mother, great-great-great-grandmother, was psychic. <laughs> But um, there they all are, and yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's nice to have the black. I like black and white and colour in the same picture. And this plate, which luckily, I'm glad, isn't broken, is a, is a plate that belonged to her. Ah. So it, it is sort of, um, you know, it, it's quite a personal sort of picture. Mm. Now, I mean, I know that when people look at this, they wouldn't know all that, mm. and I don't expect them to know all that. But you can feel, this is an old photo. Absolutely, you can feel, yeah. You don't need to, it's interesting to know that, but you mm. can feel that this is about mm. some kind of thing, connection with the past, and yeah. you know, which is... I can see a like, stencil of wallpaper. Is that what it is? Yes, it is. And, you know, and I was thinking that wallpaper is something that is domestic, it's nostalgic. You know when people are knocking down an old house and you see just a little bit of wallpaper left on the wall? It's always really poignant because you know that someone chose it, probably a woman, took time choosing the wallpaper she thought was nice and um, now it's all gone. But, um, so it has that kind of you know, family feel to it, domestic feel. You have been commissioned for so many public and private significant projects such as that huge mural in Sydney Aquatic Centre, the mm. mural in Jewish Museum, mm. and so many more. Which is the biggest work you have ever painted? Possibly the Cook and Philip Park pool mural, perhaps. Probably, it's hard to say. The one I did at the Jewish Museum was 40 metres, but the, the ceiling height wasn't all that high. I mean, you know, I could reach it. I could reach the top on a milk crate, so that shows oh, wow. it's not that high. Wow! So, I, I don't know. Possibly that. That's certainly the. That's certainly the biggest permanent thing that's still there in College Street in Sydney. Did it feel inspiring as a woman to paint something so big? I guess as a woman, but just as anyone, it's exciting. Yes, mm. it did. What it actually made me think, you know, was that it's interesting when I came with that pool mural. I had been in the Louvre. And I'd been looking at these, they call large format or grand format paintings, the big, really big paintings. A lot of them are big mm. battle scenes and big historical or major sort of 19th century extravaganzas, huge, and a few metres by a few metres. And I was thinking, gee, it'd be wonderful to do one of those, really, like many, many times bigger yeah. than the paintings yeah. we see around in here. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to do that? And then I got asked, you know, if I wanted to do that. That was kind of what happened. And it is like that. It's really exciting painting something huge. You need to design it really well first, though, because, mm. you know, if you suddenly think, oh, the head needs to move to the left or maybe I should get rid of it, repainting the whole thing would be hell. You have worked with such a wide variety of organisations and people from circus oars to Australian ballet. What is it like to have such a diverse range of clients? Look, I think, yeah, I love doing that. I mean, I, I'm actually mostly, I mostly don't do commissions. They're mostly just things like, with some of those things, the ballet, oh, they asked me. I had a commission from the Performing Arts Centre in Melbourne and they asked me if I would draw the ballet. But I also asked the ballet themselves if I could draw backstage. So sometimes I'm asking, sometimes I'm being asked. I love it. I love theatre and being backstage, you know, for both of those mm -hmm. things and also in dressing rooms for Circus Oz and so on, 
it's just so fun. <laughs> and I realise, you know, after a while you get to know what your work is about more. And I realise that a lot of my, my work, or most of it, is about real things and imagined things together. And that's what theatre definitely is, you know, and particularly backstage, where there's something ordinary, like, you know, someone who's moving props around, stopping for a minute, drinking a cup of coffee, looking at Facebook, as well as standing next to Cleopatra, who's about yeah. to go on stage and, you know, etc. In your paintings, we see a lot of figures of other people, mm. but also a lot of self-portraits. So I was just wondering, is it because you're available 24-7? <laughs> well, yeah. Or is, is there any other reason? Well, a lot of artists do do that, exactly as you say. You know, think of Rembrandt's, I don't remember how many, I want to say 60, but I can't remember. Masses and masses of stunning self-portraits right through his life, from when he was a very young man right through to old age. Uh, it's, it's um, you know, wonderful to see. And that would be, though his paintings, I'm saying, um, would be because he's available and because he's analysing himself, but he also represents anyone who's ageing, any, just a, a human. Mm. In my case, I would say that I do a lot of self-portraits because they are, there's, a, there's a, a strong autobiographical aspect to my work. It's not all autobiographical and it's not all me, but there is a strong mm. autobiographical thing. But also, so some of them are me, but even when they're not me, if I want to know what someone looks like if they're doing whatever it is, yep. I do it <laughs> to see, you know. This painting is witches, which I was thinking again of witches from Macbeth. I had a painting that I did a few years ago of the witches from Macbeth. But I do sense a bit of Mexican <sighs> yes, theme in here. Yes, you're yeah. right, because when I did the, 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 the painting that I did of witches from Macbeth and I was asked to do that a few years ago, I um, had just returned from Mexico. And so I had some of those Day of the Dead masks and things in it, which is what that is. Mm. Um, and I have just like totally inexplicable and incomprehensible things in it, like this figure that's got three legs, you know. Um, these figures could be Macbeth coming across these witches. It's quite open, but it, it was originally the witches from Macbeth, although there's a third, there's a fourth one. I mean, in the, when I read the play again, there's Hecate who comes in, but I, we don't ever talk about her. We only just talk about the three main witches, so, you know. That could be almost anything there. But I love these sorts of things because they're so berserk and it's and so... And this is quite sexual It is, well. in a scary yeah. and weird way. Yes, I love <laughs> it. I absolutely. And the two different hands. Yeah, in a scary and... Yeah, which just makes it more interesting. Mm. So, yeah, so a green hand and a yellow hand. You know, if you can do things like that, if you're less predictable, it, it, it catches your attention more and mm. makes you stay with it and wonder about it more. Uh, I love things that are a bit mysterious where you don't quite get what's going on. It makes you really wonder and come up with your own interpretation about what on earth they are yeah. doing and why. Well, artists inspire one another. And uh, please tell me about your partner, Bernard Olmos, mm. because mm. I know he is a very accomplished Australian artist. Yes, look, I look at, we have a, a perfect setup here. This is my studio and it's a big warehouse. And amazingly, we have his and hers. Up through there is his studio, which is the same size. And uh, we don't live here. We walk here from our place in Erskineville, which is about half an hour away, roughly. Sometimes we come up together, other times we come up separately. 
and we are in our own separate worlds, which is what you need. You know, I'm sure you know. You don't, you can't. Most artists don't want to be in the same room as someone else. You need to be able to go in your own world, yep. talk to yourself, um, sing to yourself, just yeah. And uh, when Bernard goes into my studio, or I want to ask him a question quickly, I have to say hello, and he usually goes, <laughs> or I do, because you're, you're thinking, you know. So, you're, but look, it, it's really, it is really terrific, and um, we also can ask each other for bits of advice occasionally. I'll ask him, what do you think of this compositionally, or he'll say to me, I'm, I'm not sure about this bit, you know. So, although we're we're separate, uh, and our work is different, we have things in common. And the other thing is that when we met, we were both fully formed as artists. We were both already had a track record of doing stuff. And we are both very interested in story and all sorts of other things that, you know, is similar in our work, although it's still quite different. Well, it sounds like it's a wonderful union. It's very, it works really well. <laughs> you have a very special connection with Paris. Yes. How did that come about and what does it entail? Well, I'm hoping that I can finally go back there again because, of course, COVID stopped yeah. you know, everything. When I um, was 26, 27, um, and I won this travelling scholarship I mentioned to you, I went overseas for the first time and I also had a residency at Cité Internationale des Arts, which is an international arts centre in the centre of Paris, nearly opposite Notre Dame, which is incredible. It's fantastic. Fabulous location. It is fabulous. And it's also brilliant because it's for artists, writers and musicians from all over the world. I can't remember how many nationalities. I want to say 90. That might be wrong. But almost everywhere, yep. almost everywhere, right, is there. I had three months there, which was just fantastic. Mm. And you have basic accommodation. You have um, lino on the floor and, uh, and an easel and stuff, which is all you need in this wonderful location. Yeah. And, of course... Not surprisingly, I fell in love with Paris. 20 years later, I'm going there. And the main thing that had changed, of course, was me, of course, because Paris is similar. And when How I, interesting it you is, say it's, that. It's actually really interesting. Yes. Because when I was young and I went there, it was three months, mm. and I said, and it was October to December, and I said, how long is three months going to mm. be? Now, I'm 27, I'm not seven, so I know what three months is. But I'm thinking, will that go lo seem long? Will it seem, what will it be like? Well, it, it seemed long, not because it was bad. I loved it. I loved it. It was wonderful. But it seemed to stretch for a long time in a wonderful way. When I'm 47, I thought, three months going to go really fast. Could do this, do this, paint that, finish that. So it dries, mm. uh, 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 three months. And of course, went like that. Mm. That changed. It was my perception of time and me. It was actually really interesting because it was the same slot in the same place, 20 years different. Mm. I think it was around then, Bernard and I were walking around in Paris and I'd always had these dreams. Wouldn't it be great to have a, a Paris apartment? Anyway, we're walking down the street and I said that. I said what I always say, because I have two sides, like I was talking about my parents, two sides of me. So my uh, romantic... Would you say it's an alter ego? Yeah, yeah kind of, yeah. 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 It's my romantic side and then my practical mm -hmm. side, which is actually good because as an artist, you really do have to have both. Mm -hmm. If you're all romantic, you can't survive. And if you're all practical in whatever, you're not really an artist, you've got to have mm -hmm. both. Anyway, I'm walking down the road and I said to Bernard, wouldn't it be great to have an apartment? And then my practical side comes in and I say, but, you know, be more sensible to rent. And Bernard said, you don't always need to be sensible. 
You're so romantic. I, that was, I told you that because that's a great story. And yes. that's a, isn't that, doesn't, isn't that a good, a good illustration? And how right is he? Yes. You I, don't always have to be sensible. I see why you fell in love with him. <laughs> you don't always need to be sensible. In fact, you shouldn't. It is more practical to do whatever, but I'm lucky enough to be able to do that, you know. So it's not a big place, but it's our place. But, you know, how fabulous it is and how great to see all those museums and be surrounded yeah. by all that. Wendy, could you critique yourself? For example, like has your art evolved over the years? Has your style changed? Mm. It's interesting because some artists it changes a lot. So some artists, you know, might start off abstract and then become figurative and then go to something and uh, all of that and then maybe stop painting and go into video or whatever, right? So things like that. For me, it actually it's evolved, of course, but it hasn't really changed. Fundamentally, you can see if you look back at young me in my 20s, mm -hmm. you can see it's the same person. Yep. And the other interesting thing is that sometimes I've gone back to the same themes that I was working on when I was young mm -hmm. in a different way. I think that, you know, when they're talking about writers, like if you're a novelist, very often there is a strong theme, even though it's different stories, that runs through many of your novels, say. And I think that as, a, as an artist, or particularly me as a figurative artist who's interested in some kind of open narrative, there's things that keep coming yeah. back. For example, you know, uh, I wasn't uh, relatively recently painted a picture of myself walking through the city in a mm -hmm. crowd, crowd of people. And it reminded me of a painting that I did when I was a student of me walking through mm -hmm. Darlinghurst in a crowd of people. Different painting, but a similar, yeah, there's definitely a link with the past right through, you can see that. It's just, it happens naturally though, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with changing, changing. It just, mm. you should do whatever you feel your heart mm. is telling you to do. Please tell me about your ghosts exhibition at Mossman Art Gallery. A few years ago, I started to think about psychic women in my family. I have my grandmother, who I never met, my father's mother, was psychic. How fascinating. I know, it's really fascinating. Mm. and. My great aunt, her sister, was quite a famous psychic. In fact, my cousin Ruth, who was in, lives in England, looked through, uh, did some research, and found a thousand or something citations in various psychic things about her. She was really well known in her day in that world. And then my great, next two greats, grandmother, in Russia, which is now Ukraine, was also psychic. So it's like it's every second generation, wow. which means it should be me, but it's not. But I, I, just, I just thought it was so interesting, all of that to do with seeing ghosts. And my father absolutely believed it, completely believed it, because he had seen so many things where my grandmother had, you know, gone up to people and told them things that mm. they, she couldn't know. And he also, when he was young, he'd actually worked in psychic newspapers and things. So he was utterly a believer in that. Amazing. It is. It's, it's fascinating. And I've always loved the idea, as, as we were talking about before, about things that, you know, things that are tangible and, and everyday or real, precise, you know, like us sitting here, tangible things. And then things around, which are either what we're thinking mm. about or what's just happened in the past, what will happen in the future, real or unreal, but other things are in another, yeah. two worlds coming mm. together. Um, and so I thought, I'm going to, you know, make some works about this and then I'm going to extend it into a whole big exhibition where I paint on the walls and so on. 
Thank you so much for being a guest on our show and we wish you all the very best in the future. Thanks so much. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you.